January is a great month. It's one of my favorite months of the year. Not only do we get to start a new year, but we get to celebrate human dignity by uh, the weekend of Martin Luther King Jr. And we honor the dignity of all life, even as we mourn the Roe v. Wade decision this month. We've been celebrating the human dignity of all people as we've been studying the book of Ephesians. We've begun the past two weeks, Ephesians chapter 1 is who we are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we start this morning, and it's who we were without Christ. Turn with me, please, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Who were we without Christ? It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's, that's who we were without Christ. We were dead. It's hard to imagine, but we were dead. That's what it says here. What does that mean, we were dead? Well, I mean, we were physically alive, but as you know, we are spirit, soul, and body. So at the core, where our spirit is, is where we were dead. Our spirit was dead. And what that means is spiritually, the spirit within us was entirely unresponsive to God. God could walk right in front of us and we wouldn't know it. God could speak to us in a clear voice and we wouldn't recognize it. There was nothing in us that desired God or could choose God or recognize him. We were dead. We were unresponsive to God. Not only were we dead, we were disobedient. It says here, just read, verse 2, we were children of disobedience. That means we were incapable, even if we wanted to please God, we were incapable of doing it. Even if we knew what was right, we were incapable of doing it, at least not consistently. So we were dead, we were disobedient, but that's not all. It says, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of humankind. Now think about that. We've already, we've already discovered we were dead, that is unresponsive to God. We were disobedient, that means incapable of, of following God. But now it says we were doomed. We were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, we don't see it that way, do we? Uh, we look at, at, at the news and we can envy people. We, we can look at, at uh, those in the arts and those that have made a bundle and, and some of uh, the successful people in our culture, and, and they don't look like they're destined for destruction. But that's what the scripture says here. But it says we were all that way. 
We were dead, disobedient, and doomed. And not only were we doomed, it says we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of humanity. By nature. It wasn't just that we messed up and therefore deserved judgment, but we were by nature dead, disobedient, and doomed. Now, for those of us who came to Christ as children, who were raised in a Christian home, we may not believe this about ourselves. This may be hard to believe. If you receive Christ five years, 10 years, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever it may be in your case, it may be difficult for you to remember that you were once dead, you were disobedient, and you were doomed. But it's true. You may not recognize that, but, but there is a value here. You see, if the book of Ephesians simply painted us for who we are in Christ, we may forget who we were. Now, coming up next week, we're going to get to verses 11 through the end of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, but in there twice it says, remember. Remember. Remember that you were once aliens. Remember that you were, 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 were children of wrath. Re remember. Now, this is, goes for all of us, especially those of us that may have been raised in a Christian home. There is an incredible warning one of the, the deepest burdens on my heart as, as a parent raising children in a Christian home, not only in a Christian home, but in church. I mean, they had to be here if they, even if they didn't want to be. One of my burdens was that they would not take for granted or treat as common the holy things of God. Well, during parenting, there are always those wonderful opportunities when you and your children discover that though raised in a Christian home, there's still a sin nature. They, they mess up. They do some knucklehead thing. They may repeat it. They may go back to it a few times. They may get in over their heads. Well, let me just say to you, moms and dads that are still raising the littler ones, rejoice in those opportunities. The, the fact is, you may have forgotten that though your kids come from you and you were born again maybe before they were conceived, they still have a sin nature. And every kid needs an opportunity of coming to grips with that. And we don't have to freak out. But this is an exhortation for every one of us. I was going to have us tell the, our neighbor, you were dead. You were disobedient. You were doomed. I don't, I don't know if that would go too well. Um, I'm a daring guy most of the time, but I'm not feeling that one. So, 
But can, you, can, can I ask you to repeat this about yourself? I was dead. I was disobedient. I was doomed. Then we come to verse 4. But God. You can do a, a wonderful study in your Bible on those two words, but God. There are some notable verses elsewhere, but God. This is one of the great ones. I was dead, but God. I was disobedient, but God. I was doomed, but God. But God. And, and I love it that his nature is described first before his action. Yes. Yes. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. But God, but God. Now what it goes on to say in verse four, five, is but, but now this, this, so we've seen already who we were without Christ. Now we're gonna see what he did for us when we were without him. First thing, we were, what were we first? Dead. Dead. So what's he going to do? It's the first thing it says. But he made us alive. Together with Christ. That means that somehow Jesus' resurrection was intended for more than just himself. When he rose, you were raised. You were made alive and then raised. It's the next one, verse 6. And raised us up with him. Now, raised us up, that, what that means is raised up out of our disobedience so that today we have the grace on us, the ability to follow him. We didn't used to have that, but now we have that. Raised up means I can now obey God. I can now follow God. Perfectly, no. I'm never, on this side of heaven, I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I have a grace to, to choose him. I can follow him in obedience because he not only made me alive, he raised me up. Now, what about the doomed? Look at the next thing. Verse 6 and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that is our current future. We were children of wrath, we were doomed. Now we are seated with Christ and our future is secure in him. If we clap for the band, we can clap for that. Come on now. Come on, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So he took care of us. Now why? Why did he do this? Oh, this, this gets so powerful. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness 
toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, God will be glorified in himself, but that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is the why of God's perfect plan in allowing us to fall into death, disobedience, and being doomed was so that he could make us alive, raise us up, seat us, so that the immeasurable grace of his kindness toward us in himself will forever glorify him. Yes, he chose you to be glorified in you. And the more needy we are, the more he's glorified by meeting those needs. The more we are aware of our issues, the more he can show himself strong in the middle of our messes. So that we as Christians, there's a time for us to, to take off. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'll do anything to make a point. Where's my mic? Ah, yes, I just took off my microphone. That's why I have people that work with me to keep me from looking too bad. We need to take off our self-righteousness. We need to take off the thought Oh man, now that I'm alive, I'm raised, and I'm seated, I better be perfect. Forget it. Christ's grace is, shows itself down the middle of our messes. When you come to church, we, there's a sense we want to look our best and look nice and that, and that, that's, that's fine. But we need to get used to the fact that when we come to church, we bring our messes. The last thing we want to think is that God's, God's expecting instant perfection. Remember that you were dead. You were disobedient. You were doomed. So what Christ wants to work on is inside of you. Right down the middle of your stuff, your issues. When, when, when you feel like swatting your kids. When you lose patience with each other as spouses. When the stress of life builds and mounts and, and you feel like throwing in the towel, that's when God can come and show off. When you're at your worst, 
is exactly what Jesus came for. Now, this passage, of course, we come to verses 8 and 9, two of the great verses worth memorizing in the whole Bible. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast in themselves, but our boasting is in the Lord. But the verse I want to focus on is the last one. And uh, let's get verse 10 on the screen if we can. I think it would do us well. We may have different versions, but let's read it off the screen so we can read it in unison. You ready? Let's read it together. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I want you to receive this. I want to say it to you. You are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Would you say with me, I am God's workmanship. workmanship. Tell the person next to you, you are God's workmanship. If you're sitting with your spouse, say it again. (laughs) You you know, sometimes we think this can apply to anybody but the one I'm married to. (laughs) In fact, uh, I heard of a husband and wife that heard this message, or one like it, from Ephesians 2, uh, 10, and they, they got into it on the way home from church. And the wife says, "You didn't you hear what the pastor said? Uh, I'm his workmanship. And, and he, he turned to his wife and he says, you sure are a piece of work. <laughs> I, I think he missed something on that. Somewhere, uh, he kind of missed the, the point of that. Well, there are times when, when we, we're all pieces of work, amen? But, but the point is, we're his workmanship. Now this word, workmanship, is a beautiful Greek word. It's poema. It's a a fancy way of saying poem, poem. It's it's the transliteration of the word translated workmanship. You're his poem. Another way of saying it is you're his masterpiece. Now, I I can feel you want me to have you say that. Uh, So repeat this with the pastor. I am God's masterpiece. Okay, don't take it too far, but it's a, it's, it is an accurate translation of verse 10. But now I want you to see something. Work is used three times in verse 10 in, in some form or another. There's the fact that God is working on you and you are his work. Then there's a work that God has worked on and prepared for you to work. That's what this verse says. So I think we got it that we're his workmanship. But what this verse really, the point of this verse is not just that we're his workmanship. The point is that God has 
while he's been working on us, he's worked on a work for us to be part of and work the work that God's worked ahead of time. That one might have gotten you lost. Let me try that again. I didn't like the way that one came out. Okay, so we get the idea that God's working on us. But there's something he has for you to do that he's been working on. A venue for you to join him in because he's already working that work. And part of the reason he's working on you is so that you can work in the work that he's prepared for you to do. So you're passive in a sense. You cooperate with God, but he's going he's gonna to do in you what he wants to do. But he wants you active in joining him in the work. And listen to the tense of the verbs. We are today his workmanship, his masterpiece, his poem. Created in Christ Jesus. Why were we created in Christ Jesus? To glorify him, yes, but that's not what it says. For good works. Well, you better keep working on me because I'm not ready. That's not what it says. It says good works which God prepared beforehand. Before you got where you are today, God prepared a work for you. That's what it says. Not tomorrow, not a year from now, not, not, not when you earn your degree, not when you uh, settle down, not when your kids are out of the house, not when you have enough uh, money in, in your uh, whatever. It says that we should walk in them. When? I want to say when you get up and start walking. That's what it says. How many of you walked in here this morning? Now, I knew that was a risky one in case someone was carried in but, or wheeled in, and God bless you if you were, uh, but I'm, 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 so I'm, I'm taking this and applying it as if it means literally walking. If you walked in here, there's a, a work for you to do, for you to walk into. The moment you stand and start walking, there's something for you to do. There's a person next to you to smile at, to greet, to learn their name, to give a silent prayer for, and it goes on and on and on. That's what it says. This is empowering. And, and I, I just want to end this morning with a few illustrations. The first, I want to introduce you uh, to a man I have utmost respect to. I followed him from when he was an infant, though we've never met. His name is Freddie Figures. Figures, like go figure. <laughs> Figures. He was the dumpster baby that was found in Central Florida close to 40 years ago. His mother, it was learned when he was about a teen, 
was a prostitute and drug addict and did the only thing she knew was to give him over. And she didn't know any better than to put him in a dumpster. But a cop walking by heard crying from the dumpster, went and got him, took him to the closest hospital. He was dehydrated and cold, but other than that, he did fine, and a few intravenous, and he was ready to go. He was put up to a foster home adopted by the figures who had a biological child and a couple of other foster kids. But, and he, so he then was adopted and given their last name and named Freddie from the time they got him out of the hospital. Freddie Figures. In elementary school, the word got out that he was the dumpster baby and he was badly bullied. Nicknamed Dumpster Baby. How do you think that would fly? But his dad saw that he had unusual aptitude with technology. In 1989, he bought his son when he was about uh, 9 or 10. He bought him a Mac at a pawn shop for $25. Freddie took it apart, put it back together. Took it apart, put it back together. Took it apart, put it back together. Hundreds of times. Then he was started helping his dad with his... PC. Then his dad told neighbors and friends and associates, and before long he was fixing every computer in town. When he was 13, he fixed the town of Quincy, Florida, the, in, in the municipal building, their computer. His adoptive father, Nathan, Nathan Figures got Alzheimer's before Freddie was out of high school. So Freddie invents a GPS tracking system so that when Nathan would wander off, Mrs. Figures would know where to find him. A few years later, that software uh, invention was sold for $2.2 million. He had 150 clients, and today he owns a company, wireless company, that's valued at $65 million. Dumpster baby. Now I share this because Freddie Figures is a powerful illustration. You may have never seen yourself as a dumpster baby, but you and I were worse. We weren't just in a dumpster crying, we were in a dumpster dead maybe in a morgue, on a coroner's table or whatever. We were dead, disobedient, doomed. 
But our Father had mercy, showed unusual kindness. He made it possible by sending his own Son to adopt us into his family, to give us life, to make it possible for us to obey God. And he not only did that, but he's, he's, he's called us his workmanship, and he's already created space for us to serve him in. He's created the venue for us to do our thing for his honor and glory. So the full story of Freddie figures from beginning to end, and he's still alive and doing well, I mean thriving, is a reminder to me of what Christ did for me. And while I don't ever foresee having the net worth of Freddie financially, I share his intrinsic worth as a person. And I know that the God who used him is and will use me and you. Recently, Freddie said this, my parents adopted me and gave me love and a future. They did the best for me, the world, uh, to make the world a better place, and now that's all I want to do for others. May that be true of us, that we who've been adopted will want to give that away and serve in some venue with eternal consequences. I want to end by um, reminding us of the great Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, if you haven't in a while, I would encourage all of you to uh, YouTube a couple of his great speeches. Tomorrow. Don't just take a day off, but remember the legacy. Remember the vision. From his speech, our God is marching on. How long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Hallelujah. And the final speech he ever made is, I've seen the promised land. The day before he was assassinated, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. 
It's the message of Ephesians 2. We who were doomed have been seated. And we will get to the promised land. Let's thank the Lord this morning.